Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. I'm Christoph Laputka, and this is Leviathan Presents. It's a segment where we highlight one audio fiction creator, have a conversation, and then play a full episode of their show right here in our feed. I hope you'll enjoy today's guest, and without further ado, let's get into the interview. This is Leviathan Presents. Hey everyone, it's Christoph, and I'm coming to you from New York, where Robin and I have been spending the last week editing our next Leviathan show called The Invenios Expeditions that we've told you about. And so far, it's sounding really good. We have a lot of work to do, but we can't wait to bring it to your headphones next spring. Stay tuned after this episode of Leviathan Presents, because we're going to be playing the theme song to The Invenios Expeditions. So definitely stay tuned and let us know what you think. Robin is going to be hosting this episode of Leviathan Presents and be telling you about an amazing new audio drama creator that we met this fall, but this is going to be the last that you're going to hear from me this year. I also want to let you know that we have a brand new Christmas episode that we just released, and make sure you check it out in our feed because that episode is going away on January 2nd, and if you don't listen to it now, you're not going to hear it again until next December. 2024 is going to be one of the biggest years in the 15-year history of Leviathan Audio, and we have some really big stuff planned that we're so excited to tell you about. But I just wanted to take a second to thank you all again for your continued support and for telling all of your friends about our show. I wish you all the happiest of holidays and of a gnosis-filled new year. Take care, everyone. Hey, everyone. This is Robin bringing you another episode of Leviathan Presents, and I'm really excited today because we are talking to not just one, but three great audio fiction creators. Joining me today are Marissa Ewing, Melissa Pons, and KJ Scott. Collectively, these three are the creative team behind Liars and Leeches, a fantastic psychological horror audio drama series that debuted earlier this year. I've been listening to the show over the past month or so and have really enjoyed it. I think that you all will, too. We're going to be playing the first episode of Liars and Leeches here for you today. But before that, we're going to be chatting with our three creators here to learn a little bit about the inspiration behind the show and what it was like creating it. Marissa, Melissa, and KJ, welcome to Leviathan Presents. Thank you so much for being with, here with us today. Uh, why don't we start by having you each say hi and telling us what your role in the show was? Uh, sure. I guess I can go first. Uh, my name's Marissa. Um, I am the creator of Liars and Leeches, so I'm the person that created the story and the characters. I also did dialogue editing um, and directing the cast, and then I did um, mixing and mastering at the very end. 
so my name is Melissa, and uh, I, yeah, I'm the sound designer. I've done the sound design for the show. Hi, I'm KJ, and I took Marissa's wonderful story and I turned it into the scripts. Uh, so, Marissa, I want to start with you, since you were the original creator of the show. Why don't you just give our listeners a synopsis of what the show is about, and you know, tell us how you came up with the idea for it originally? Yeah, sure. So the story is about a woman named Tanya. Um, before the story actually starts, she suffered a pretty significant loss, the sudden death of both of her uh, sister and brother-in-law in a mass shooting. So the story initially starts out with her trying to recover, um, kind of relearning how to go out in public, um, trying to deal with her anxiety. But after she moves into the house that her sister and brother-in-law essentially left behind for her, um, she starts noticing that she's being followed by someone that seems to be drawn to her. So it's her trying to deal with her grief and loss while also trying to recognize that there is this potential external threat and her trying to struggle with if it's actually a real threat or if it's just in her mind. And what was it about audio drama that drew you in? What made you decide that that was the medium you wanted to use to tell this story? Yeah, I think it was a few different reasons that I chose audio. Firstly, um, I definitely have an audio background and training. I think before this, I worked on a couple dozen other shows, but they were all for other people. So I sort of wanted to give myself a shot at creating something original, but definitely for me, having such a strong audio background and not much knowledge in video, I decided that both because of my background and for budget reasons, that audio would probably be the way to go for this particular story, um, kind of get my chops in a medium I'm particularly familiar with. I'm really happy that we have Melissa and KJ here today also because I always tell people that uh, audio drama and audio fiction are a team sport. I think it's way easier to make a show as well as way more fun when you have some collaborators to work with. KJ, I believe Liars and Leeches was your first time writing for audio. How did you enjoy working on this type of show? Well, I have a background in screenwriting. I just got a bachelor in film, so I studied a bit of screenwriting both academically and then also just reading every book I could get my hand on on the medium. So I'm sort of used to approaching writing from a more sort of like the bare bones of the visuals and more coming at it from dialogue. But that's something I think was a strength for writing Liars and Leeches because the, this is a show that thrives so much on dialogue, thrives so much on the character interactions. It was super fun and I loved working in this format because it combines both prose and screenwriting in a sense. And I'm, I'm hoping to get to um, write more audio drama in the future. I'm very curious about what your the the process of writing the scripts was like because Marissa, you said you you came up with the original concept, but KJ, you actually turned them into scripts. So, what was that like? How did it work generally? It was um, kind of a lot of back and forth because I I consider story creation to be one of my strengths, but definitely dialogue is one of my weak points by far. So, um, what we did initially was I created this big bulleted list for each episode that explained the story beats that I wanted to hit. Um, I also created some additional documents that had sort of background on the characters, um, background on where these events were taking place, sort of their personalities, things like that. Um, so I basically tried to give KJ as much information as possible to take those story beats that I'd written um, and turn them into a full script. I, I think it played to both of our strengths because uh, Marissa said that she's great with story creation. She really is. And I just loved the story of Liars and Leeches the first time Marissa explained it to me. And I 
personally love writing character work. Having grown up watching The West Wing, I love lengthy monologues and dialogue scenes. So, but I struggle personally when creating original work with um, the story creation, the, the the meat and potatoes of what happens to these characters. So I was it was so much fun to have Marissa's outline, this incredible outline where she just really fleshed out like the most beautiful plot and then just getting to sort of run with that and take the characters in a fun direction. So I want to talk a little bit about the story, actually, because when I first heard about the show, uh, I met Marissa at a couple web fests this year and she was introducing it as a supernatural horror show, which I've listened to a lot of supernatural horror podcasts. Um, and then I listened to this and it, it felt a little different. It's very grounded at first. It starts off far more as sort of a psychological thriller where you're really inside Tanya, the main character's head. And it was a little unclear where you were going to go with it. And I loved that. I was trying to figure out, is this going to be a traditional monster show? Or is this more of a realistic character study about dealing with trauma and mental health issues? Yeah, there were definitely a lot of different references that I used for this particular show. I personally am a fan of horror that's a bit more uh, slow burn, I guess you could say. So kind of things like, um, I, I wouldn't say that Jaws is necessarily a slow burn, but you really don't see or Jaws himself until like the end of that movie. Um, similar for other movies like uh, Get Out and Nope, where like you, you can tell that something is wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on it until closer to the end. So I definitely in horror really like this idea of like saving and holding on to the big reveal until the very end and really having people sit in kind of their uncomfortableness until it it really starts to get scary towards the end so um that's just personally a style i've always gravitated towards in horror so i kind of wanted to take uh that particular style and make something of my own that way and this particular story what what did you well like what were your inspirations for this actual story yeah i think it was um Something else that I really enjoy in horror is kind of the idea of taking an idea that's either not concrete or feels insurmountable and kind of personifying it in a way that can be fought or defeated. So again, I referenced uh, Get Out earlier. Uh, racism is not something that you can physically fight, but uh, in that particular movie, it's sort of personified in a way that in that particular scenario, you can. So uh, being from the United States and having personal experiences with gun violence, I decided that I wanted to take that style of storytelling of, you know, personifying something that feels insurmountable and sort of putting, you know, gun violence, anxiety, depression into kind of this personified scenario, I guess, without spoiling it, that can be physically dealt with. Well, and speaking of giving form to something abstract, Melissa, why don't you tell us a little about the sound design for the show? Where do you start with taking stuff like depression and anxiety and turning it into something an audience can actually hear? Were you around when they were writing the scripts to help guide the process of how you were going to use sound design to help tell the story? Yeah, there was uh, something that works very much like that. I uh, started to read the scripts when they were close to the latest version, maybe. Not entirely closed up, but, you know, very solid already. Um, and uh, my first assignment, let's say, was also to um, provide suggestions uh, of where there could be some re redundancy uh, in case we decided that the sound design could tell some something that wouldn't be uh, strictly necessary that would be told by um, the narration, for example. Um, and then with the dialogue, there was also some thoughts and some notes on 
how um, the actors could maybe um, uh, help enhance the performance, providing more options, um, and uh, sometimes fill out also like the background things, so some extra kind of material from from the actors themselves. So that was the first uh, kind of input from from me to which was yeah really great and also I think it was for me to start to get personally involved at the stage where it was I think I had like several weeks to get familiar with the script with the story and um, and it was nice not to have to jump straight away to write to sound design a story uh, I'm sure both. Melissa and Marissa can speak to this so often. Sound design is kind of the the last thought in the process, <laughs> even in audio first productions like audio drama. Yeah. So it's really, really cool to hear that you guys worked that yeah, way. Ironically, yeah. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> yeah, that was something Melissa and I have worked together on other shows in the past and um, they've gone smoothly, but there have been times like we've come in after the actors have already recorded and like, it would be so cool if we could have had like some breaths here, or some coughs or things like that. But at that point, like the actors are done, they've gone on to other projects. So that was kind of something I wanted kind of being the creative director of the project from the jump was like making sure we really had our sound design ideas solid. So that way I wasn't like calling some actor like four months later like hey can we just do a session for five minutes where you're just like heavily breathing into a microphone <laughs> so we can use it later like so I think that having those notes from Melissa really did help save a lot of time because all of the recording sessions with the actors we went through and then I did um, any type of that like fully work or like those smaller like breaths or sighs or things like that we did at the end and went through Melissa's notes you know our audience is going to hear episode one of the show which I will say made me very anxious just listening to it. <laughs> what were some of the techniques you used as a sound designer to, to heighten those feelings? I, I will take that as a compliment <laughs> to induce anxiety on people. Um, yeah, I, I'm very involved with the script. Uh, <laughs> so I, you know, I really need to focus and having have it printed on paper and I really go into this, you know, mode. Uh, what I work with uh, primarily is kind of its emotions. So I was really trying to go deep into the either the character or, or the scene or what, because I thought that the characters were so well expressed all the time. It, you know, it was very clear. So I don't think sound design was an aid uh, in the sense that, oh, let's be sure that we, we can feel that they are sad or scared here, because I think that from the writing, I think that was already, you know, very well delivered. But uh, then, of course, we, you know, with sound design, I just tried to kind of embellish. I kind of went through this, okay, now here a lot of anxiety, then panic mode, um, then here's some relief, and then, you know, this this kind of stuff. So uh, I'm also a field recorder, so I record uh, nature primarily. So um, I also try re really to use a lot of, uh, um, like, outdoors, not only outdoors, actually, but a lot of soundscapes that would convey uh, for me these kind of sensations. And then there was a lot of underscore also that I was, you know, making with virtual instruments, Um Probably I use some some recordings as well and, you know, kind of process it in, in a way. Something you said at the beginning that I, I would like to hear more about. You said you have to print the script. Yeah. <laughs> can, can you elaborate on that a little? Yeah, I take a lot of notes. Um, and uh, I think I just have, a, I also like to read a lot, but I, I have trouble reading on a device. So, you know, I prefer, I, I don't know if it's this organic, you know, kind of uh, relationship with paper. You know, I don't know if you guys also have you know, feel that I like that. And I take loads of notes, loads of notes. And um, I also try to color code. Um, so yeah, I had like color pencils and, you know, I was doing that and really helped me to kind of structure <laughs> everything. Um, I don't know. It just works best for me. I always printed all the, all the scripts that I work with. 
Marissa, as someone who works as an audio professional, can you talk about what it was like working with another audio professional? Did you find any difficulties of wanting to jump in at points? Uh, I think, honestly, it made it significantly easier because I think having someone to bounce ideas off of helped a lot because there were definitely times where, like, I would have an idea for something and Melissa would go, I'm not sure. Like, do you think we can pull that off? Or like, do you know, maybe we should try something else. And like the, the blend of our two ideas, I think just made this show like so much better than if I'd just done it on my own. Plus that's just, that's like so much to try and handle, like basically doing all the audio editing by yourself. So I think balancing it off each other was really great. And like I said, we'd worked on some other shows before at this point. So I think we'd kind of like had a rhythm of how we work together instead of just like being completely new with how each other thinks. I think in other instances, it's been hard to like pass off work. Like at first I was like, oh, you know, like, I hope this works out, things like that. But like, it's just, it's been such a positive experience. And I think Melissa did just such a good job on the soundscape here in a way that I I don't think I could have pulled off. Thank you. (laughs) So one of the more prominent features in your show is your narrator, who I think is absolutely fantastic. He knows how to make you feel chilled. He knows how to make you feel warm. I want to talk to you about your use of narration because it's sometimes a controversial topic in audio drama. Uh, Yeah. You know, our show, Leviathan Chronicles and Rapscallion Agency heavily uses narrators. I don't think we could do a show without them. How how did you decide that you wanted to use a narrator? How did you decide which parts you wanted to have the narrator cover, which parts you wanted to cover with dialogue, which parts you wanted to cover with sound design? The reason I specifically decided to pick a narrator for this show in particular, like if I decide to make more in the future, I'm not sure if they'll all have narrators. But this one in particular was so heavily focused on emotion that it would be really weird to like have characters say all their thoughts out loud. I I think it would have been pretty difficult to tell this story without having a narrator. Yeah, it was a really interesting sort of experience, especially the first couple of episodes, trying to figure out when the narrator needed to step in versus what was going to be more of an organic conversation between Tanya and Natalie, for example. And that was something that was definitely, like I said, coming from a screenwriting background, a little tricky to sort of wrap my head around at first. But I think after the first couple of scripts, when I fell into a rhythm, it became sort of like a second nature. I sort of set it up for myself that if the characters wouldn't say it organically, the narrator is going to be the one who's going to say it. So that was for me was the big sort of like rule for myself. And also just like, like Marissa said, there's so much emotion in these scripts that it would have felt weird for someone just to all of a sudden start narrating exactly what they were feeling at any given moment. So you've completed one season of the show. I know I've heard you, Marissa, say you have plans for a season two. What are what are your hopes for, for Liars and Leeches going forward? Yeah, I think in an ideal world, I'd like to have three seasons. Um, I'm very like set on the idea of like stories shouldn't drag on forever. So even though I've really enjoyed making this, like in my head, I have story beats for three seasons and I, I don't think I want to push past that trying to think how to say this without like being spoilerly but kind of a different emotional beats per season I'll say so definitely still having the same main characters but you know really focusing on like a specific emotion each season where the season was uh fear and anxiety there are a couple emotions picked out for the subsequent seasons so and then beyond liars and leeches what are your hopes for the future of audio drama in general I think that's a that's a heavy question um 
I don't know, because I, I love seeing how much audio fiction has grown, especially over COVID. I really like that it's an accessible medium that people would be able to kind of jump into. Um, because I was talking, I forget who I was talking to about this, maybe Melissa, but if this had been a film, it would have been in like the millions of dollars and trying to jump into storytelling and having a multi-million dollar budget is like not, it, it would never work. So I would really love to see, um, I love how the industry is growing, but I'd also love to see, you know, I guess more options for people that want to like step out of that like self-creation, I guess, and being able to build up their teams. Because I know so many audio dramas, it's like the actors and then maybe one person right. doing stuff behind the scenes. And I'd love for there to be more like financial options for people to keep making these like bigger stories and bringing in more people. Because um, I think that's the biggest struggle with audio dramas, that it's like pretty difficult to get funding on your own. So I I'd love to see people continue to create, but also have... um sort of the level of resources that films can get. Well, as someone who created a show with not just you, but a small team, but still a team, do you have any advice on how to find more resources or people to collaborate with? I'll be honest. I feel like I'm a bit biased in this case because with the exception of Melissa and our composer, uh, I had never met or worked with any of the people on Liars and Leeches before this. And I think I was incredibly lucky just doing open auditions and being able to find people that way. Um, I I definitely looked out and who auditioned. But I would say casting a wide net is definitely the best way to go. And taking your time with casting. There were a few characters that I was like, I feel like this person might work, but I kind of want to like extend the auditions a little bit. So I would say take your time when you're looking for people and when you find that fit, like you'll know. Uh, KJ and Melissa, before we wrap up, either of you want to give your thoughts on hopes for the future of audio drama? Yeah, I think it's a medium that I sort of have been slowly getting into more and more over the years. And it's a medium that I think is... I, in my opinion, is currently sorely underrated as a medium. I think there's just so much interesting storytelling going on in the audio fiction world. And like Marissa said, I think that we could really like having more resources and having more options for people looking to get into the field. Um, and just to, to continue the breadth of voices that you find in the audio drama world, I think that would be, that's sort of where the, the ideal next steps would be, because I think that this is just such a underrated and wonderful art form and i'm so glad that i have sort of seen the light in terms of um becoming part of the audio fiction world yeah i mean definitely i think marie said really well you know more more opportunities uh for you know for all people to be able to express themselves i think anyone has stuff to say you know and to express so i think that will be really important but also on a creative side i think that I, I want to see you know more original things more creativity like more different aesthetic approaches um like if you read a book you have words of course but it can be uh, so impactful on your imagination loads of times like films don't provide you that for example because they are giving you all the information they're giving you the sound they're giving you the i mean it's only like basically the texture and smell that is missing kind of thing in in films but i think with books it's you know the experience sometimes it's really you know just you know completely surreal and i think audio drama could have also that uh, possibility i'm very curious actually to see how that will develop in the next like 10 15 years and yeah i mean guys bring your sound designers 
early on <laughs> and start to develop ideas from there. Because I also see that even from my experience with films, for example, because previously I worked with cinema, it's some things are clearly like written and like th there's no consideration for actually the sound. Um, not saying it's on purpose, of course. Uh, no one wants to sabotage their own projects in that way. But but if it would be you know, thought with a sound designer, you know, from the beginning. And Randy Tom, like he's, he's really, you know, fantastic sound designer. He's really, he's been talking about this quite a lot. Uh, start to build from also like the sensorial perspective. It's more of a curiosity, you know, uh, to see. I'm also seeing how I can push that myself in a way, you know, whenever the, I had these opportunities. Well, it's been great talking to you three. Before we get into the episode, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you online in case they want to hear more from you? Yeah, so um, Liars and Leeches was the first show that I created through my production company. It's called Hemlock Creek Productions. Um, so if you go onto the Hemlock Creek website, it's hemlockcreekprod.com. Uh, you can see a list to all of the other works that we've done, things like that. Um, so you can just browse through and like listen to some of the other shows that uh, we've done sound design on. So I think that's probably my biggest plug. And I'm around on the internet, not as much on social media anymore. But <laughs> if people reach out through the form on the Hemlock Creek website, I'll get I'll get messages from there. Um, I currently um, am just eagerly awaiting Liars and Leeches season two. But um, if you want to reach out, I am on Blue Sky. I believe my handle is KJ Scott Writes because I, it, I'm new to that platform and I deleted my Twitter. So that's the one that just forever lives in my head <laughs> instead of my Blue Sky account. But, um, and also Marissa, if Marissa can put anyone in touch with me that needs, that has like a burning question about anything. But yeah, Blue Sky is where I'm usually lurking nowadays. Uh yeah, I have uh, a website uh, that is, uh, you know, it needs uh, to be uh, taken care of, but uh, but it's there with uh, many links for for things, and it's uh, melissapons.com. And as far as social media, I'm on Twitter. Uh, the handle is melissapons1. And um, yeah, I also have a SoundCloud, you know, with the same same names, uh, with lots of recordings uh, from from a lot of stuff and. Um, yeah, but I'm pretty accessible, I guess. Uh, I'm I'm around there, not in many channels, but I'm I'm around there. Well, uh, Marissa, KJ, Melissa, thank you so much for joining us today. And without further ado, here is Liars and Leeches, episode one. From Hemlock Creek Productions comes the new supernatural horror audio drama, Liars and Leeches. Liars and Leeches is a horror audio drama intended for mature audiences only. It contains sensitive topics including discussions of gun violence as well as depictions of domestic violence, stalking, and murder. More specific details about each episode are listed in the show notes. Listener discretion is advised. Liars and Leeches, Episode 1. Unpacked and stored away.
Anya stared down at the picture of her sister and brother-in-law, their faces beaming up at her as they waved to the camera. Tanya remembered taking the picture of them a few years ago, the day they moved into this house. She wished she could go back to those simpler times. Hey, where do you want this box to go? Oh, um, you can just set it over there for now. It had been over a month since Tanya had moved into her sister and brother-in-law's old home, and she was having trouble accepting that it was hers now. Everywhere she looked, there were little reminders that she was here, and they were not. <clears throat> you know, this place isn't half bad. Victorian, original flooring, high ceilings. I bet the hosts of one of those home renovation shows would love to get their hands on it. It's nice the way it is. If Tammy and Jim had wanted to change anything, they would have. Uh, they would have wanted you to be happy, Tanya. And I think if painting a room a different color would make you happy, they'd cheer you on. The house is yours now, after all. And that was the hard part, Tanya thought. Tammy and Jim had left her the house, but Tanya never imagined she'd be living here. She'd always assumed Tammy and Jim would change their will to leave the house to their future children. Okay, so, bedroom and office are basically done. All we've got left are the kitchen and your clothes. Which, by the way, you could definitely do some Marie Kondoing of those. You've got stuff in there I swear I saw you wear ten years ago. Hey, my college style was unparalleled. Yeah, back in 2010. No one wants low-rise jeans anymore. They're a torture device designed to make people feel shitty about themselves, no matter what TikTok is trying to tell us. You have a TikTok? Absolutely not, but I follow <laughs> enough people on Twitter who do, and they report back with what the youths are saying. Besides, Liz says that Gen Z is trying to make Y2K fashion come back. Ah, well, if Liz says so, it must be true. <laughs> Don't act skeptical. She's the one you hired for culture reporting. But seriously, we need to update your clothes. Moving is the perfect time to make a fresh start with a new wardrobe. You donate a few things, you buy a few more, suddenly you're a whole new woman. I... I don't know. Have you decided what you're gonna do with Tammy's stuff? Jim's too? I'm not sure yet. I was thinking about storing them or giving them away, but I don't know. Hey, hey, it's all good. Right now, let's put the stuff in boxes, put them in the attic, and you can take some time to think about it. Let's just focus on getting your stuff unpacked. The makeover can wait too. Thanks. I just... This is hard enough as it is, you know. This is Tammy and Jim's home. Their room, their clothes, their furniture. Uh, you know what I found? Uh, the first night I stayed here? What? A pregnancy test. Oh, God. Tammy had a couple in the medicine cabinet. They wanted a baby so badly. They had it all worked out, too. Two kids, two girls. They both wanted girls. Jim wanted to be a girl dad. That's why they decided to buy this place. They thought the yard would be perfect for kids. Maybe a dog, too. Jesus. Was she... No. She wasn't. <laughs> Little miracles. Uh -huh. It's not three deaths, then. Oh, God. <sighs> it's okay. Just let it out. You're good. You're safe. And I'm here with you. 
Tanya had always been grateful to Natalie in one way or the other. At the start of their friendship, it had been how upfront and honest Natalie had been about how much their paws had sucked. Over the past years, it varied from honesty about outfits to support during late nights and writing tough stories at work. After Tammy and Jim's deaths, Natalie had truly become Tanya's rock in every sense of the word, helping her survive every painful day. Natalie had held Tanya as she cried and had been upfront with her about how she'd needed to take better care of herself. Without Natalie, Tanya knew she'd probably still be in her apartment, curled under the covers and staring blankly at the wall. <laughs> it's, it's such a cliche, but I keep feeling like they're, they're gonna walk through that door any second. But then I wake up each morning in their house and I have to tell myself that they're, that they're not coming back. And I'm just going to have to spend the rest of my life missing them. Grief's a bitch. <laughs> You're telling me. <sighs> Thanks for spending a Saturday with my whiny ass. Are you kidding? There's no other whiny ass I'd want to spend time with. <laughs> Besides, you clearly weren't going to unpack without a little motivation. So, what room's next? For today, just a kitchen. How bad is it? Well, I've had a lot of takeout lately, but you know, dishes can pile up. Oh boy. The idea of pushing forward and continuing to work made Tanya feel deeply exhausted. All day she'd been putting her sister and brother-in-law's things away and replacing them with her own. She needed air. She needed to get out. Hey, not to dump all of this unpacking on you and run, but maybe I should just go and get something to make for dinner. Wow, and here I was thinking the price for helping you move in was beer and a pizza. <laughs> Given that we're not in our 20s, I figured my famous vodka sauce and pasta would work. God, you know I love that sauce, and you haven't made it in forever. Pick up some frozen garlic bread, and I'll be content. <laughs> you got it. As Tanya started her car, she took a moment to collect herself before leaving for the store. She stared at the house Tammy and Jim had left her. It had been their pride and joy, a fixer-upper turned dream home. Tanya remembered her brother-in-law, Jim, spending so much time nitpicking over the yard, mowing the grass, trimming the bushes into just the right shape. But now the grass was overgrown and the bushes unkept. In the past, Tanya had always found grocery shopping tedious. The bright artificial lights, the hum of the annoying music playing over the loudspeakers and the dance of navigating past other shoppers was boring at best and frustrating at worst. After Tammy and Jim's deaths, it had turned into a new kind of nightmare. 
At least this store was nearly empty. Tanya knew she couldn't deal with a large crowd today. Okay. So, I've got vodka, I've got pasta. Alright. Oh, tomato paste next. Oh! Shit! Uh, sorry. Butterfingers. <laughs> All good. Tanya gripped her basket tighter with sweaty hands, feeling her heart race. Come on, Tanya. You're fine. You're fine. They just dropped a can. You're fine. A chorus aloud bang would startle her. It would startle anyone, but especially someone whose life had been affected by gun violence. But that didn't make it any better. Logic couldn't make her emotions settle. She pictured Tammy and Jim and how a few short bangs was all it took to take them out of this world. Oh, God. No. Fuck. Not here, Tanya. Not here. The walls felt as if they were starting to press in as Tanya tried to breathe. She felt like dropping her basket, running from the store, and heading for the safety of her house. For a moment, Tanya considered texting Natalie, whose dry wit might be able to calm and ground her. But this was such a small thing, and Natalie already had done so much. Just breathe. You only have a couple more things to get. Come on, you can make it a few more minutes without needing your hand held. <sighs> okay. Ma'am, I can take you down here. Oh, thank you. Good afternoon. How's your day been? Good. Um, it's good. As the cashier began ringing her up, Tanya noticed him for the first time. A man, tall and slender, but something about him made Tanya deeply uneasy. He was just standing there, frozen in the middle of the aisle, with no shopping cart or basket in sight. One of his hands was shoved deep into the pocket of a large hooded trench coat. The other hung by his side, a diamond-shaped tattoo inked on the back of his hand, despite his face being obscured by the coat's large hood. It was clear that his attention was fixed on Tanya. Isn't the weather nice? It's a perfect July day. Okay, not too hot, but still, you know, nice and summery. And it's supposed to be like that all week. <laughs> Do you have anything fun planned? Just, uh, dinner with a friend tonight. Aw, that's nice. You know, I was hoping to go into the city soon, see a musical on Broadway. Oh, have you heard of that new one about, like, Emily Dickinson or whatever? It's supposed to be, like, really sad, and, like, the entire audience leaves sobbing. But I think it sounds good. Sometimes a really good performance will move you to tears, but I think that's just a sign that the show was really well done, you know? Tanya wanted to leave. The store felt as if it were closing in on her, the walls pressing in and fluorescent lighting too bright. The store's air conditioning was way too high, and even in the hoodie she was wearing, Tanya shivered. The man was still watching her. Even though she couldn't see his face, Tanya could feel his eyes on her. However, the cashier didn't seem to notice her distress. Even though the audience seems to love it, I don't think the critics agree, but I totally don't buy the reviews. What do you think? 
I, um, I don't know. I'm not a big musicals person. I never went much when I lived in the city. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You lived in the city? Boring little town like Cedar Grove must be awfully different than what you'd be used to in the Big Apple. What brings you out here? <sighs> Sometimes life has plans for you that you don't expect. Oh, I totally understand that. Like, I was so excited to move into NYC last year, but have you seen those apartment prices? They're just so damn expensive. I'm not a millionaire, you know? So now I live here to save money. Not much theater out here except the community theater. Have you seen them? They're doing much- The man stood unnaturally still, so much so that he could have been a statue. No one else in the store seemed to notice him except for Tanya. Every time she glanced over and saw the man continuing to stare, she felt her unease turning into fear. Something was wrong. This man was dangerous. She knew that in her gut, beyond any sort of paranoia or trauma, this man was dangerous. And it looks like your total is $25 even. Cash your card. Tanya could feel the anxiety coursing through her. She felt exposed and vulnerable and longed to be back at the house with Natalie. The man still hadn't moved, watching her as if he was waiting for something. Thank you for shopping at the hometown farm stand. Please come again. Tanya grabbed her groceries, grateful to not have to speak with the cashier anymore, and looked at the man one last time. The man cocked his head to the side, ever so slightly. Without warning, he began to stride purposefully down the aisle towards her, seeming to move faster and faster with every step, his hand starting to move out of his pocket, gripping something Tanya couldn't see. Tanya lost the battle against her panic. She started to run, heading for the exit as fast as she could. Her heart was pounding as she made it to her car, almost dropping her bags as she fumbled over keys. Fuck! This shit! Fuck! Open! Open! Oh God! Oh God! Oh God! For a few minutes, Tanya simply sobbed alone in her car. In her mind, she thought back to the reports from the mall on that terrible, terrible day. How the shooter had simply stood there, watching people pass before he'd opened fire. How it had all happened so quickly that survivors struggled to recount what had happened. How Tammy and Jim made the error of walking out of a store at just the wrong minute. As she began to breathe again, shallow, short breaths, she noticed that there were no loud noises or screams coming from the grocery store. No one else had run outside. There were no sirens. It was as if nothing had happened, as if the man had evaporated into thin air. There was no threat. The panic remained, though, and for a moment, Tanya considered calling Natalie again. Okay. Okay. You can do this. Come on, Tanya. It's just a ten-minute drive. Tanya pulled out of the parking lot, putting all of her attention into getting back as fast as she could. She tried to ignore how badly her hands were still shaking. When Tanya made it home, 
she sat in the driveway for a few long minutes. The Victorian facade of the house towered over her, feeling almost imposing and unwelcome. Tanya's hands gripped the steering wheel tightly. She knew she had to go back inside and face Natalie, but she didn't want to explain what had happened at the grocery store just yet. She wanted to curl up somewhere and rest, but as much as she wanted it, she couldn't let herself do that. She had to put on her best and bravest face and keep pushing forward. Hey, you're back. Yep, I got everything I needed. While you were gone, I got the kitchen sort of organized. You really need to buy plates that match. Also, I managed to get all those coffee mugs unpacked and stored away without breaking a single one. So, your collection is safe. You okay? It's nothing. I'm just hungry, that's all. Let's get dinner going. Natalie didn't press Tanya for details as they made dinner. She instead focused on light, easy topics like the new reality show she'd just binged. However, Tanya knew Natalie wasn't going to let her go so easily. She rarely let go of anything, which made her a keen journalist and a good friend most of the time. It also meant that today, despite Tanya's feigned sense of calm, she would try to investigate further. The subject would come up again tonight. Tanya was sure of it. The timing, as it turned out, was in the middle of dinner. So, what happened at the store? I don't really want to talk about it. You looked like you'd seen a ghost when you got home. And since you won't talk to a therapist, it's time for best friend therapy, which isn't as good as the real thing, but it'll do in a pinch. So what happened? <sighs> I saw a man. Someone you knew? No, he was... I couldn't see his face. He was tall, though. He had a trench coat on with a hood pulled up over his head. He was just staring at me. The whole time I was at the register, he was just watching me. Weird. And then when I was grabbing my bags, he just started rushing down the aisle towards me and and he looked like he was about to pull something out of his pocket. What, are you serious? Yeah, and I just ran to my car. I, I nearly forgot the damn groceries. I, I couldn't breathe, I couldn't think. I just sat there and I felt like I was I felt like there was a weight crushing down on me. Uh-huh. I realized it's, it's never going to stop, Nat. I'm always going to be terrified of some random guy just pulling out a gun wherever I am, and it sucks. It sucks. And I hate it, and I hate... I just hate all of this. Tanya. <laughs> and it's so fucking embarrassing. I'm an adult. You know, people go to the grocery store all the time. Hey, hey, it's not embarrassing. It's totally normal for you to feel like that. Also, that guy sounds like a creep who was trying to freak you out. So, really, I'm pissed at him. What the hell am I supposed to do, Nat? I lived in their house, in their town, and, and every time I step out of the house, I'm convinced I'm going to die the same way. Tanya... I've said it a thousand times, but I think you need a therapist. Because there's only so much I can do. I know. I'm serious. You need someone who can help you with this, who's trained to deal with heavy shit, and who can guide you in the right direction. Because right now, you're falling apart, and I am not about to see my best friend's life get ruined. 
I am here for you. I am going to help you get the help you need, but you're going to have to take that first step. I just... I just... It's so fucking hard. I know, babe. I know. It's never going to be easy, but it'll get a little better someday. You can be angry and sad and miss them so fucking much, but I promise you'll be able to start moving forward someday. How do you even find a therapist nowadays? And like, how do you find someone when you're going through all this? Just walk into some therapist's office like, Hi, I'm Tanya, and my sister and brother-in-law were murdered in broad daylight in the middle of a mall. I'll help. Just promise me that when we find a good fit, you'll go. I don't want you to just wallow. You're right. I hate it, but you're right. Yeah, I usually am. Now, come on. Let's get all this cleaned up. Hey, I know I was going to take the train back to the city tonight, but why don't I take the couch instead? I don't want you to stay here alone. You sure? Don't you have a plant to water? You know I've killed all my plants. I have, like, a nasty poisonous thumb. (laughs) Come on, we can watch some dumb movie on Netflix to unwind. That would be amazing, actually. Thank you. Seriously. But, um, you take the bedroom? Oh, come on. You don't have to pull the self-sacrificing shtick with me. I'll take the couch. No, no, it's... It's... I've been sleeping on the couch ever since I came here. It feels wrong to take their bed. I mean, I tried on the first night, and it just... Felt like I was intruding. You know what I'm going to say. I know. Monday morning, I'm going to make some calls. No. On Monday morning, I need your latest article. You'll be focusing on that, not babysitting me. I can multitask. I'm fine. Seriously. I'll do some research tomorrow. Pinky swear. If you say so. But before bed, we are watching something really bad that we can make fun of. Like full-on Statler and Waldorf heckling. (laughs) That sounds perfect. The rest of the evening was uneventful. Natalie didn't talk about therapy, and Tanya was able to distract herself a little with the ridiculous rom-com Natalie chose. When it was time for bed, Natalie hugged her tightly. It's gonna be okay. Promise. I know. (sighs) Let me know if you need me at all tonight, but for now, I'm going to pass the fuck out. Moving all your stuff today has me beat. As Tanya settled onto the couch under her favorite comforter, she noticed a picture of Tammy and Jim on the mantel. Usually the picture brought her joy, but today it felt strange. The eyes in the photograph were angled towards her, and she felt as though it was watching her, or rather, she felt as though something was watching her. After an hour of tossing and turning, she finally decided to get up and get a glass of water, hoping it would settle her enough to fall asleep. As she stood by the kitchen window, glass cradled in her hands, Tanya peered down the driveway that cut through the large front yard. In the dim street light at the end of the driveway, 
she thought she saw the man from before. His hands were deep in his pockets, and the hood of his jacket once again covered his face. Though he was farther away, she knew his eyes were on the house. And on her. What the fuck? She blinked, setting the glass down and pressing her face to the window to see if he was really there. By the time she'd done so, he'd vanished into the night, leaving Tanya to wonder if he was truly there at all. and Leeches, Episode 1, Unpacked and Stored Away, starring Ryan Reed as the narrator, Kendall Bird as Tanya, Newton Newt Shottlecotty as Natalie, Tyler Herchuk as the cashier, Jamie Richard Stewart as the customer, and Jess Flom as the officer. Liars and Leeches was produced by Hemlock Creek Productions. The story was created by Marissa Ewing and the script written by K.J. Scott with script editing provided by Meg Williams. Dialogue editing, mixing, and mastering was done by Marissa Ewing. Sound design by Melissa Pons and music written by Nico Vitesi of We Talk of Dreams. Additional recording assistance provided by Jordan Alexander and Trey Baker of Music City Studios. To learn more about the show, cast, and crew, visit www.hemlockcreekprod.com. That's hemlockcreekprod.com. Thank you for listening. We will return next week. Hey everyone, it's Robin again. I hope you enjoyed the first episode of Liars and Leeches. And if you like the show, please subscribe to it on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Now, as Christoph promised at the top of the show, we are going to give you a preview of the theme song to our next show, The Invenious Expeditions. I really hope you like it. Uh, Let us know what you think. Hopefully it gets you pumped to listen to the show when we release it next spring. The Invenios Expeditions. A Leviathan Chronicles story.
contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.